tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. And welcome to Tinfall Hat. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. End the story, okay? Thank you. And the crowd goes crazy. <laughs> Joining me as always is my partner in crime. He may be here illegally, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a heart of gold. My good friend, <laughs> uh, the giraffe king, the man, the myth, the legend, the one, the only, Xavier Guerrera, XG, and the place to be. What's up? What's up, buddy? We're rocking today. We, are, we truly are rocking guys it's coming to the end of the year the tinfoil hat comedy night is coming to a city we got one more special day and that is in portland at what's the name of the house it's the uh, mississippi studios the mississippi studios eddie bravo xg myself uh we are going to be up there rocking we're coming to you antifa we're coming to you proud boys come <laughs> Laugh. Stop fighting with each other. You know you guys are both just turned on by each other. Make love, you two. Stop fighting. Love America, okay? And if you go to samtriple.com, you can get all those dates. Uh, a lot of great things are going. What else do we got going on here, dude? We got the Patreon. It's popping now. The Patreon is popping. If you if, if two episodes of almost two hours each episode isn't enough of me for you, well, there's more on the Patreon. Go to patreon.com. Use the promo uh, patreon.com backslash tinfoil hat. I have so much. I'm putting on there probably about another two to three hours as often as I can up there. You name it, whether it's uh, uh, Conspiracies Now, the world's greatest, worst uh, public access show, on the record, and that's where I call um, uh, tech support and tell them about the lizard people. Uh, and then we also have uh, uh, the Secret Society of the Manhattan's, which is audio. So I'm throwing up as much. And then we have the Sunday Fun Days, which is my live streaming, and I answer all your questions. You get 202 exclusive posts. Exclusive. 202. I mean, that's a big number. 202. Guys, uh, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at adsuits.com. That's right. adsuits.com. Okay, you go to adsuits.com, use the promo code TINFOILHAT, and guess what, dog? You're getting some high-end suits for low, low money. You know I had some problems with YouTube. Guess what? I'm back, and I'm not afraid to take legal advice, but guess what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to get a lawyer, and if I go to court, what do I need? A nice, nice Suit. Now, if you if you love tinfoil hat and you love to look good, because you know what everybody likes, women like a sharp dressed man. Okay, they love the American psychos, dangerous guy looking good. Okay, you go to tinfoilhat.com. I mean, you you go to um, uh, adsuits.com backslash tinfoil hat. You put in your email address. And you register for possibly winning a brand new suit, a free suit, 
right? But let's say you don't win. You can get a great suit, all the suits you want, $39 to $59. Every type of suit you could possibly want, you can find at adsuits.com. And we now have our winner from last week. Drum roll, please, somebody. Here we go. Matthew Burlinson from Concord, North Carolina. Dude. Damn, he's going to be looking fresh. Finally, somebody in North Carolina wins something. Am I right, Johnny? Finally, North Carolina. Michael Jordan was from North Carolina. <laughs> Fuck you. Okay, oh. that was. Hey, this is a Christian <laughs> podcast. We don't use that language. All right, guys, big show, big things, big stuff. Go to uh, tinfoilhattshirts.com and get some of that action, dude. All right, man. Well, today's show is uh, you know, I'm a big book reader. You know, I love to read the books. We were supposed to have a book club. I think it must start in the new year. And maybe this might be one of the books. Uh, he, he, has a, he has a book out called Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963. It has a uh, foreword by legend himself, Dr. Ron Paul. Please welcome to the show, Donald Jeffries. How are you, Donald? Can I call you Don? Sure. Whatever you want. That's fine. Thanks for having me. Don, it's an honor and a privilege to come on. I love where you live. I, I get a little piece of who you're about. You have a lot of books. You're obviously an accomplished, uh, accomplished author. How many books have you written? Is this your first one? You have many books? No, I had, well, I had one novel published, and I've, this is my uh, third nonfiction book, and my fourth one is coming out in January. Well, so that would be five books altogether. Well, congratulations, my friend. That's amazing. Books are uh, I love books. Uh, when did this book come out? When did, when did, when did you put this one out? Crimes and cover up in American politics. Well, it's still relatively new. It came out in June of this year. So it's uh, still, still uh, doing pretty well. Still in the honeymoon period. So far, I've, uh, I've, amazingly enough, considering how controversial the material is, I really haven't gotten any negative reviews at all. Uh, you know, a the, uh, a couple even mainstream reviewers liked it. So, uh, so far, so good. So let me get this right. You have this book just came out this year, 2019, January. Right. And now you already have another book coming out. I guess it's kind of like in my world, stand up comedy, people who just keep <laughs> cranking out these hour specials. Uh, are you just on fire? Yeah. Are you just motivated? Like, like that seems like uh, almost impossible to be able to put out this many books that quickly. Yeah. Uh. I I don't get writer's block. Put it that way. I I have no problem writing, and I have no I don't run out of anything to write about with the way the world is. And uh, so yeah, the book coming out in uh, Jan January is called Bullyocracy. It's actually going to be about bullying in schools. Uh, so it's a little bit of a different uh, subject for me, but uh, just as controversial. And then I'm uh, almost done a, a book on showbiz, which uh, is going to be called On Borrowed Fame. That's uh, you know we'll see. I, I, sh I should have any trouble getting a publisher for that. So yeah, I've. I've always have a few backlogged in the queue, and then uh, what to write next after that. Have you always been into trying to find out what really happened? That's a big part of this show. We we really love to investigate the uh, information that's out there that maybe the mainstream media won't get you or or you know let you know about whether it's in our schools or in our uh, media. Uh, is that kind of like you have some very interesting topics? You're putting out some information that might not be known to the general public. Like we've learned on the show, like we tend to find out what is up is really down and what is down is really up. Uh, wh what led you to write books on these subjects? Well, I started out uh, as a teenager. 
volunteering with Mark Lane, if you've ever heard of him. He was the most famous critic of the Warren Report. He wrote Rush to Judgment. He was back on TV and college campuses uh, quite a bit decades ago. He was like my mentor and my hero. And uh, that was the mid-1970s. And uh, we lobbied Congress and eventually uh, we helped in getting the House Select Committee on Assassinations to reinvestigate. Of course, we were disappointed with that. It disillusioned a lot of people. But that's where I got my start with the JFK assassination. That's still my my main wheelhouse, I guess. And uh, it's my go-to subject. But um, from there, you know, you start opening those doors, you get into MLK and RFK and then everything that happened after that, you know, up to 9-11 and all the crimes since then, it, you, you start going down these rabbit holes and they just go deeper and deeper and lead to other things. You know, I saw a uh, an article came out that said that the French government had assassinated about 20 African leaders. Think about that. 20 African leaders. And then you kind of look at the 60s and there was just this rash of like huge names being like assassinated. And then it seems to have quiet down we haven't seen a really huge name taken out i think maybe the last one i remember was a minnesota senator who was very anti-war him and his family went down in the middle of a forest yeah. but and i was like man that's shit he's anti-war paul, well, paul wellstone yeah yeah so it's like that was a very interesting time and you know we being a, a podcast called Tinfoil Hat, obviously we uh, we we dabble in the conspiracies and the conspiracy theories. I like to call it, you know, spiritual skepticism of the official narrative. But you know, being a man who's like, in, in, you know, has been investigating uh, JFK for a long time, what is your whole take on on the world of conspiracies and why people like Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen? recently came out he's an actor who has done several movies mocking the american people has come out and talked about how bad hate speech is even though he did so much stuff on how dumb americans are and he used the theory conspiracy theorists like how many times do we have to be right before that that term can no longer be used as uh, uh, uh degradingly you know well, it's it's a, it's a terms conspiracy theorist. It's it's really just a a way to describe those who are awake and those who uh, distrust the the state and who uh, question authority, understand that corruption is everywhere, and are pointing it out. And it's easy to say. I mean, I've told people uh, when they're reading my books or anything I've written, you know, my blog or my interviews or anything, uh, to find if they can find a theory in it, let me know what it is. It's not a theory to say – I mean, you can pick any subject. It's not a theory to point out the evidence in JFK. It's not, a, it's not a theory to point out that until September 11, 2001, no high-rise steel frame building had ever collapsed from fire. And after – and three did that day, including Building 7, which wasn't hit by any, any plane and, or anything. And after that day, none have since. It's not a theory. It's a fact. And uh, it's whatever it is. I mean, when you point out something like recently, like Seth Rich, they'll call you a conspiracy theorist if you even mention his name now. It's not a theory to say he was a Democratic uh, National Committee staffer that was all but named by Julian Assange as the leaker of those incriminating emails, not the Russians. And it's not a theory to say that he was murdered in an attempted robbery where nothing was stolen and that no one ever investigated the crime and no one seems interested, least of all his family. Those aren't theories. And that's the problem is when you, when you mention these subjects, it's an easy way to just kind of throw a boogeyman term out there. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. And somebody like Sacha Baron Cohen, I'm 
certainly, as you as you mentioned, his work is is steeped in hate. Uh, most comics, you know, use ridicule and things like that's part of it's part of being a comic. I mean, how else? You, a lot of times, there's it's hard to make fun of something unless you do literally make fun of it. You ridicule it. But hate, when you talk about hate speech, hate speech is incompatible with any concept of free speech. And the left, where I should nominally be, I'm not welcome anymore because I'm a civil libertarian. And I believe in uh, defending the rights of those I disagree with. The left not only doesn't want to do that today, they would like to uh, get you fired from your job if you say the wrong thing. And maybe lot, maybe throw you in jail. I, you know, that's, I think that's probably their idea. So. Yeah, I, I hate, I hate, there you go, I hate, hate's a human emotion. I hate the term hate speech, and it's incompatible with free speech. Civil libertarian. I've, I don't know why I've never heard of that term, because it sounds like <laughs> what I am. I do believe in that. Yeah. I am, like, very much into live and let live, even when people don't necessarily want to let me live and let live. Like, right. you know, it's like, I believe in someone's right to be conservative. I believe in someone's the right to be a flaming homosexual as well. Like, as long as you're not hurting children or hurting women or hurting even men. I don't know why we exclude that from that. Right. Hurting anybody. It's like, as long as you're not hurting anybody, you could do whatever you want, in my opinion. Um, why do you think... And we'll get into your book because your theories are amazing, or your research, should I say, is pretty amazing. Um, why do you think people are so afraid of conspiracy theories? Like, for a moment, you know, Don, we, the conspiracy theorists, I'll use that term so we all know what we're talking well, that about. That term was invented by the CIA. Right, I right. I know you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we were talking about that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but why, you know, for that, that I would say literally... 19 hours. We didn't even get 24 hours after Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his cell. We had 19 hours, not even a full day of everybody kind of letting us do like a Hank Aaron victory lap around the bases after he hit the home yeah. run. And they were like, okay, you were right. And I had my friends call me, people who've been very hardened uh, against like anything that myself and people on my show talk about. But for that one moment, we had people believe in us, and then they went right back to not believing like anything. Why are people so afraid of conspiracy theories? Well, you know, of all people, J. Edgar Hoover, I think, uh, who was certainly a, a, a top-level conspirator himself in all those years uh, running the FBI, but he once said, and he was talking about the communist conspiracy, which, you know, that's all he was looking at during the phony Cold War period. But he said, you know, the average person, and this applies, I think, to anything, what we're talking about, the average person cannot conceive of what you're talking about, and they don't want to confront the extent of what it is. And that's why you're talking to the average person out there, the average soccer mom, uh, you know, the average guy that has a decent middle class job. Uh, when you talk to them, they don't, they can't conceive of this. They can't conceive when you, especially when you go really deep down the rabbit hole, when you start talking about, uh, you know, uh, child sex trafficking rings, international, that, that kind of thing. Nobody wants to go there. It, it doesn't matter what the, you know, when you talk about somebody like, uh, again, it's not a theory, John Podesta, you looked at his office, he had a, he had a picture of a cannibal, he had a cannibalistic painting in his office. Now, I don't know what that means, but we know there's lots of other references to cannibalism and all these very dark subjects amongst the elite, and they come out all the time. But you have a hard enough time trying to get some people to understand even 9-11, 
something which is really you know bland compared to something like pedophilia or Pizzagate or something like that, Sandy Hook, those kind of things. They don't want to go there because it it to them this is something that is so beyond the pale. But uh, one of the other, and I talk about it in my new book. Uh, one of the many forgotten figures of history, James Forrestal, who was the first critic of the modern state of Israel, the first Secretary of Defense after it was renamed, it had been called Secretary of War up until then, under Truman. He supposedly jumped from a window at Bethesda Naval Hospital. Uh, I don't think anybody who's examined it believes that he jumped. He was killed, clearly. But he was. Uh, he told Joe McCarthy, who he was friends with at that time, before McCarthy really uh, started becoming smeared when he started investigating the Army. But he told McCarthy, you know, Joe... If this wasn't a huge conspiracy, once in a while, they'd make a mistake in our favor. You know, accidental, happens, accidental happenstance would mean that sooner, once in a great while, a real statesman of modern-day George Washington or Thomas and Jefferson would emerge. You'd see them. You don't see them anywhere. Just recently, I was talking today on social media about... Um, Donald Trump just re-signed the, reauthorized the Patriot Act after yes. the Democrats pushed it through. Nobody's talking about that. And that, that shows you how fate, there's not a single legislator anywhere that I, I see at any level that is talking about this odious Patriot Act, which we're still uh, under. And no one is talking about, hey, you know, we need to get rid of this. This is unconstitutional. It, it kills what few civil liberties we had remaining. No one does that. And they're so distracted and dumbed down, and they're just arguing over tweets and Kim Kardashian and transgender bathrooms. And that's, that's what it comes down to. That's, that's the debate. Uh, and it's Trump's personality front and center now. And people just argue over that. They don't look at the big things. If you talk about the Patriot Act to them, they don't, there's nothing they can do because it kills, their, it kills the modern debate because Trump supported it, and so did the Democrats. So. Yeah. Yeah, their yeah. head starts blowing smoke. I've know? always said, yeah, if they agree on something, just know we're in trouble. That's my opinion, right? If they come yeah. together on something, uh, I also think, like, not everybody, but a lot of people, uh, they're just such deep down to the core nice people that they can't believe that these yeah. group of people like we're Hillary. We like to transfer our 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 belief like we look at hillary people want to look at it like it's their mother their grandmother their yeah. sister their aunt yeah. their you know they so they transfer these feelings out to somebody they've never met before and they can't believe that somebody that this kind of evil is allowed to walk around and exist all the time right. and uh, it just blows their mind. And like, no matter what the evidence is, it's so much easier just to, it's like, it's so, it's like why stand up in, in this. I, I hope people understand what I'm saying. It's why movies are allowed to go a little farther than let's say a stand up comic, because a movie paints the picture and you turn your brain off and you just follow along with what the director wants you to see. Whereas a, a stand up comic Every line must be digested and what he interpreted, what he'd say. And as a conspiracy theorist, you have to do that. You have to digest everything and, and really question people you want to root for all the time. I mean, if we take a look at what happened with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, like that lady was CIA. Her father was right. like funded black ops operations. Like his job right. was to find money for 
black ops that were off the book. She was working with, you know, she was part of the CIA intern program at the uh, at Stanford. Her, that whole thing was a show. So nobody actually looked at what Brett Kavanaugh was into, which was the president's above the law. They're all uh, search. Searching your house without a warrant, uh, no rights to privacy, militarized police, and that he co-authored or helped draft the Patriot Act. I mean, those are things that people would have flipped out on. But instead, everybody like wanted to go off on this woman's hazy recollections of something that happened way back yeah. with zero witnesses except for her husband, yeah. who she met a long time ago, and a therapist <laughs> who she met long after the whole thing. And it's just like yeah. people can't, I don't know, man. It just maybe because we're mammals and we have to run in packs, we want to pick a pack. And and people, most people still get their uh, their news from what I call the state control. I don't even call it the mainstream media. It's state controlled media. The only difference between our media, mainstream media, and TASS and Pravda in the height of the Soviet Union is that the Soviet citizens were smart and sophisticated enough to know that it was state controlled media and they were being lied to. Most Americans don't appear to be smart enough to realize that. When you talk about Kavanaugh, that was a big charade. I wrote an article about it a while back, and. Uh, I, I talked about how most people don't know Kavanaugh's background. He was the architect of the Vince Foster cover-up. He, he, he was the one who, who, who said that, uh, you know, even though there's a Secret Service memo out there, it's still there, again, not a theory, a Secret Service memo that talks about finding Vince Foster's car, uh, body in his car. Now, that contradicts everything about the crime scene. We're told he was found on the ground in Fort Marcy Park. But this is the guy, and of course, Donald Trump, being the actor that he is and the WWE character, during his campaign, one of the many great things he said was about Vince Foster. He goes, you know, a lot of people think that was murder. He knows about all this stuff. And then he goes, and his second choice to the Supreme Court is the guy who led the cover-up into the Vince Foster case. It's, it's beyond surrealistic, and the problem is most people, when you, when you talk at this level to them, they have no comprehension of what you're talking about. And they're, they're, you know, they broke down, that broke down in predictable lines where they came up with a ridiculous woman who was completely uncredible and was talking about things that happened in high school, couldn't even remember. I mean, she literally didn't remember the location or the date. And as I said at the time, it's pretty hard to develop an alibi when you don't have a time or date for the accusation. <laughs> but, you know, again, all the people that hate Trump, and that's the, what we've broken down into. You, Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing. These people are rashing. He's like, he's like Goldstein, if you remember Orwell's 1984, where they would stick this character up on a screen, and the inner party members would have a two-minute hate, where they just go rage out at him. And what we have on the... On the, the the substantial number of Americans that have Trump derangement syndrome, it's, it's a constant hate. It's not a two-minute hate. And, of course, on the other side, you have the cult that goes to his rallies and still cheers the same slogans that he's uh, you know, done nothing about in three years. And it's, it just cheers him on as he makes up new nicknames for his opponents. It's, it's become – I never thought – politics would, would really mirror idiocracy, the movie Idiocracy, this quickly. <laughs> But it really, really does. We are WWE theater. And, and Tr it, Trump, despite not looking like him, is very much like President Camacho. Let me ask you something. Well, by the way, I think that will be uh, The Rock will be pre President Camacho. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that happen for sure. Let me yeah. ask you something. Uh, maybe my theory is wrong. I said in the last episode I said before. And, you know, again, if I'm wrong, I'll admit it. Is it possible 
that the, the what's going on between uh, uh, Donald Trump and whatever group we want to say the Bush the Bush mob the the deep state that there's actually some kind of like an organized crime vibe to it where it's like two organized crime groups are fighting over power and access and all that stuff where it's like yeah it's like they come together when they agree on something but you know there is a war over power and stuff like pulling out of the the paris uh uh climate accord what's going on with china like i'm open-minded to like have i fall for the theater or and not that i ever think trump is a good guy but i think there is a war going on the two i could be wrong but i'd love to hear what your theories on that don well, there, there, that goes back to the 70s. There was a guy named Carl Oglesby who uh, wrote a book called The Yankee and Cowboy War. And he talked a lot about that, where he talked about kind of the, uh, the Eastern establishment, which I, but I think, I really think the cowboy part of it doesn't have anywhere near the power the, the Yankee establishment has. And I think, I'm sure there's, you know, it's like in any organization, I'm sure there's, uh, there's a lot of infighting. I'm sure, you know, personally, maybe uh, some of the conspirators, if you will, don't like each other. But I think Trump, I, I mean, I think everything about him is, is orchestrated. And uh, I don't, I'm sure there are people that maybe aren't in on the act. I mean, who knows how many, you know, this is a production, but, you know, we don't know how many people are necessarily in on it. We don't know who's writing the scripts. But, you know, everything about Donald Trump, to believe that somebody, I think he's 72, 73 years old, somebody that age could be as overweight as he is and allegedly be drinking 12, 12 Diet Cokes a day, living on fast food, and be walking around and seemingly really healthy for his age? Impossible for me to accept. I, don't, I mean, he may have the secret technology Henry Kissinger has. There's a 96-year-old obese guy. Now, if you, and he's walking around and speaking and fine. You scour the earth and find any other 96-year-old obese person. It's oh, not going to happen. My, he's what? the only one. Okay, we're going to get into your book. What are you saying that you think that there's something out there that prolongs these guys, even though weight-wise they shouldn't be around anymore, that their their health actually would dictate somebody would have died decades ago or years ago? And Is that your theory, or am I just picking up on something that maybe isn't there? That's just an observation I made about Henry Kissinger. I don't know whether to explain. Maybe he's just lucky, and maybe one of the all-time top-level conspirators of my lifetime, Henry Kissinger, architect a disastrous foreign policy that's crippled the country. Uh, you know, terrible advisor to all the Republican presidents, war criminal by any definition, if there is such a thing. It would be a really fantastic coincidence. I'm just saying, if you look, you know, most people, even over 70, are yeah. not significantly overweight. Yeah. It's just the way it is. And uh, for if him to be as heavy as he is, he had 96. I, again, if the, people can show me a bunch of examples of that, I, I, I just, you know, I'm speculating. That's all I do. I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me uh, if, if people at his level are privy to uh, maybe a uh, kind of medical care or secret uh, technology that the, the common riffraff don't have. I just think it's, you know, amazing that somebody could be as heavy as he is and be 96 years old. But, you know, I, I could maybe it's just an incredible uh, lucky dink. coincidence. Uh, real quick, do you think that K- Kissinger, well, you know, and this is just me kind of catching on something that he said, do you think that he failed at what he did or did he succeed because it was so 
like basically disastrous for mankind, but it was such a thing for like the power and the the powerful and the wealthy. Like the way just you know we Anthony Bourdain said before, when you visit certain countries and you see how poor and devastated the country is, it makes you want to like choke out Henry Kissinger. Like was it a failure or was it did he just? succeed so well at draining the poor middle class around the world to and and and, and wealth well, I, the rich well i think it depends on your perspective if, if it's a perspective of those the one percent and the people the elite that rule then yeah everything he was a smashing success and everything he did they've done is uh as jim garrison said a long time ago why well, there's no reason for them to change their policies it's worked out really well for them so uh, there's there's no reason you know so as you talk and I wrote about uh, one of my books is called Survival of the Richest and uh that ex- examines the disparity of wealth and the rigged marketplace now the 1% rigs everything and how uh you know basically 80% of Americans and a higher percentage around the world ha- are struggling and living paycheck to paycheck what one stat most people don't know is that the bottom 50% of America right now makes less than $27,000 a year and has less than 1% of the collective wealth. So you have half of this country has nothing. And I mean yeah, nothing. It's and that's, so... that's, not, that's not a first world country. And Henry Kissinger is certainly one of the people that uh, put those kinds of policies in place. But they're all responsible. And I think they're all taking orders from above that. But basically, you know, my new book, one of the things I, you know, researching some of these figures, uh, William Henry Harrison, who was the, the, the president who we, we all kind of, I guess we study history, know that he served the shortest term. He served 32 days. He uh, died, supposedly he got sick uh, while delivering an inaugural address uh, at 68 years old in the pouring rain. But he left a couple quotes on the record, and, and one of the quotes, and I quoted uh, very often, is that, you know, here he's 68 years old, and he said, you know, after a lifetime in politics, I've come to, to realize that everything done in politics is to make the rich richer and the poor poor. And I think that just speaks, you know, for, for that's all politics and practically everything that happens that's why the infrastructure doesn't get rebuilt or anything like that, because that would benefit everyone. Everything that's done, you know, we need another tax cut for the wealthy. You know, we have to go over and chase this latest boogeyman over there in a foreign country. Ignore the crumbling country. Ignore the fact that half the country has other. So everything that's done, I think, is with, uh, is with what William Henry Harrison had in mind. And that is, and that's an old chestnut. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And it's never been truer. That it is today, because there has been a massive, not trickling down, but a massive jet stream up of wealth into fewer and fewer hands. And it shows no signs of stopping, despite, you know, Bernie Sanders and people like that, their rhetoric. I would be surprised if anybody's allowed to do anything to stop, because that seems to be part the main part of the plan. Well, uh, he is Donald Jeffries. His uh, Twitter feed is at Don Jeffries. And he is author of the book Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963. Why that time period, Don? Well, my, my first nonfiction book was called Hidden History. And that was this is basically the pre- prequel to that. Hidden History started out in 1963 with the JFK assassination and went up through the – believe it or not, Trump isn't even mentioned in it because it was published in 2014. So uh, – at that point, he hasn't, hadn't really hit the political stage. So it's up through the Obama years. So I cover everything in that time period. And people, readers reminded me afterwards that, you know, it didn't start with JFK. And, of course, it didn't. So I thought, well, you know, there's a whole other book there. So I decided to start it uh, 
you know, the, during the War for Independence, when the colonies broke away from England, and uh, from there I wrote a lot on Lincoln. I think I have a different take on Lincoln that than most historians have ever had, and uh, all the way up and through uh, up and through the fifties, and right, you know, I don't go right up to the Kennedy assassination, pretty much uh, close to that. But it, it's there's a, a time period, and and you know, the past is prologue, as Shakespeare told us, and most people. Most Americans are historically illiterate, unfortunately. They don't know their history at all. So for someone like me who's writing about hidden history, sometimes it's hard because a lot of young people especially don't even know the fake history. So first you have to explain to them you know, what the, what the official narrative is and then just show them why it's a lie. It's harder to do if they don't know the official narrative. But uh, especially these older things like Lincoln. Lincoln is such a sacred cow. He's the secular saint of our civilization. So I, I tried to show what his real record was, which was, uh, you know, a, a, the first imperial president, a tyrant, if ever there was one. He threw thousands of people into jail for opposing his policies. He shut down hundreds of newspapers, suspended the writ of habeas corpus, invented the concept of total warning. And these things are connected. When you see things like the, you know, the... Uh, the horrors of uh, Guantanamo Bay, uh, think, uh, Gitmo, and things like that. We saw those pictures. They all spring from what was invented by the northern generals during that scorched earth policy and the total war concept. Oh when, my uh, God. It was oh my yeah. God. That's it. That's it. It's like yeah. people can't come to grips when we start saying today, and not that the, uh, the Republicans are any moral up you know super citizens or anything like that but we like you know i mean when we tell you that the dnc has engaged in some very dark arts ugly war crimes for decades people can't take it because they're the liberal party and liberals are supposed to love everybody and like when we go back and like from what you're telling me it's like the 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 whole thing about the north was supposed to be this righteous group of people right. who who were like fighting the free slaves and if we go right. even deeper you know Abraham Lincoln was fighting to, uh, you know, end the reserve, even though there's been uh, rumors that he's a Rothschild and stuff like that. Like, what is going on? Like, where do we start with this story? Well, I think that, you know, it, the, the Civil War, and I, I, I call it the Civil War for convenience sake, but it wasn't. It was really the war between the states or the war of northern aggression, really. Um, and basically... Unfortunately, what happened was, and I I'd also talk about how everyone ignores the founding fathers today. We we have such a weird situation because there's not a leader that I know. Ron Paul came close in many ways, but that I know of any kind of political representative in modern times that actually supports the Constitution, the separation of powers, as it was in intended to be written. And what happened is when Lincoln came onto the scene, he was the 16th president. The 15 presidents before him, with the exception of Polk, who invaded Mexico, and that, that was one of the first mistakes we made. And we still see that today with groups like La Raza, who, uh, you know, despite the fact that I, I don't like a lot of their, uh, what they say and do, they have a, 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 essentially a, a real point that we did steal land from them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm on a campaign to give California back to Mexico, as, as a matter of fact. It's pretty much unsustainable, and it's become third world, so just give it back to them. We stole <laughs> from them in the first place anyhow. But um, so that's when, when Polk did that. That was the first step outside the constitutional bounds. All the other 14 presidents had not thought of anything like that. 
And when Lincoln came, he took Polk, you know, to, to whole new levels. Lincoln was the first imperial president, and even establishment historians say that there's no evidence that Lincoln thought there were any bounds to his uh, his powers. He believed he was the commander in chief, so he could do whatever he wanted. And he did. He tried to arrest the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court when the chief justice ruled that his uh, suspension of the writ of habeas corpus was unconstitutional, which of course it was. And we still don't know how many thousands of people were put in makeshift prisons during the Civil War. We have no idea. And ironically, and again, most people don't know their history, one of the people he put in jail was a guy named Frank Key Howard. He was the grandson of Francis Scott Key, who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner. And irony of ironies, he put him in, he, he was incarcerated in Fort McHenry, the very fort where the flag was flying over when oh his grandfather God. wrote that. <laughs> and here, you know, Lincoln, the great hero, had him imprisoned for nothing more than uh, objecting to Lincoln's tyranny and, you know, the trampling of civil liberties. He shut down hundreds of newspapers. And again, the concept of total war can't be overlooked because of people like Sherman and Sher- Sherman was just. Uh, uh, one of the most vicious people, I just studying him, it's just amazing. It makes your blood run cold to know that this guy is considered an American hero. But when he did his fame, when he went on his famous march to the sea and he went through the South, he was fighting virtually the, all the men that were left were in, were in the field. They, they were old people, you know, they were handicapped, really old men and women and children. And what they did is they, first of all, they raped and they literally raped they raped so many slave women, especially. They didn't free them. They raped a lot of them, though, on the way. And, and again, this is I, I have in the book all the, you have to go to southern sources because the history is written by the victors, and they're of not going to you know they're not going to admit any of this because it's not a good look. And uh, they they even more despicable perhaps was the fact that this was the total war concept. They they decided to destroy property. They burned down homes. They burned crops. They, and then they would salt or oil the fields so that they couldn't grow food ever again. There, this is this. So they starved these people out. And when people, it, it's amazing to sit there and even to realize that these are your heroes and what they did. And and I've published the uh, letter in the book. Uh, for, and again, this is not a theory. This is a letter that Ken Burns types left out of his, uh, um, you know, Civil War uh, documentary. I'm not going to show this. The guys, the guy. Uh, Rhodey's a lieutenant, Thomas Myers, and he described in detail, the, and he was complaining about it. He was, because he, he was complaining that the big shots, including Sherman, who was the top mobster at the top, they were overseeing the theft of personal property of all these people when they were going through the South. They were going in all, especially the mansions, the people that had money, and they were taking their jewelry, all their you know, silverware, anything that was uh, valuable, money. There were common thieves. And uh, Sherman was getting a cut of everything. And this guy was objecting to the fact that Sherman and the big shots were getting a cut of all their theft. And this is these, these are the people that are heroes. So but, you know, they're considered to be uh, they were against slavery, which they were not against slavery. Sherman owned slaves. Lots of lots of these guys did. And uh, if you read the, the, the uh, quotes on the record from Lincoln, Lincoln sounds like a grand wizard of the KKK in, in many of his statements. So these were not good guys. They were they were fighting for power, and unfortunately, after the Civil War, the American Revolution was dead because the the, the entire reason for the War for Independence in 1776 was to break away to secede from English rule. That was the secession, if ever there was one. 
So when the southern states in 1860 decided they wanted to secede from the Union, they, if they, sh- they should have had – we should of all people, the people that ran the United States government should have realized, oh, okay. As Thomas Jefferson said, you know, anytime you, you get tired, any people that have any – that get tired of uh, their form of government have every reason to alter or abolish it. Well, Abraham Lincoln didn't think so, and he cracked down right from the start. There was no flexibility on his part. We must save the Union. And he would go on to invoke God's name in it, which was ridiculous because all the evidence shows he was an atheist. But he invoked God's name, later blamed him for the war. Um, Didn't even mention slavery for the first year of the war. The, The word slavery doesn't even appear in his first address to Congress. But then he realized it might be a good thing, uh, politically speaking. This might be good, uh, a good image to say we're fighting for slavery. And they certainly were not. Now, uh, so once they did that, they trampled on the two great concepts of, the, of our war for independence were, one, the consent of the government, the, pe- the consent of the governed. People everywhere have a right to consent to those who government. Well, after this war, Lincoln and the victors showed that, no, you don't. You don't have a right. In fact, we're going to kill 800,000 of Americans in an effort to show you you don't have that. So the consent of the government is gone. And the other one is the separation of powers. We had a separation of powers and the, uh, the no taxation without representation. Anybody that can look at our representatives and think that we have any kind of representation. The banker bailout of 2008 featured every poll showing like 98% of the people against it. But every one of our political leaders was for it, and it got done. That's the S, that's the epitome of taxation without representation. Oh, I couldn't agree those, more. I couldn't agree more. One hundred percent. So let me ask you something. So, I mean, as we look back at our leaders, we often find that they are not who we thought they were, or or these like icons. You know, right now, supposedly Gandhi's being distanced from people in India. They didn't represent their actual needs, that he was more of controlled opposition, that, you know, he, he could have ended uh, British uh, occupation, but he didn't. We got Ma- uh, Mother Teresa being investigated for <laughs> child sex trafficking. Um, and now you're telling me that, like, Abraham Lincoln is in this group. I mean, I, my question is, do... do Good people ever try to rise to power or do like, or do they <laughs> yeah. just really just want to help on a local level and that only power hungry people or people who are willing to sell out and be corrupted or, and play a character uh, end up getting, I mean, cause what we're seeing with the DNC right now, and I say it all the time is like, you know, the liberals don't run for office. Real liberals don't run yeah for federal office, maybe on a local level so they could do stuff locally. But on a national level, we don't really see like old fashioned liberals running for uh, office. I mean, like, can we count on anybody? I mean, are, are the good guys in Washington, see the ones we don't know about? And that's why we don't know about <laughs> them because they're actually there because they care and they won't play the game. Or is the whole thing just foobar? Well, and, and, and not anymore. I, I don't really know very, very many good people in Washington, D.C. But 
there, there certainly have been good people. And I, I write a lot in the new book about uh, Thomas Jefferson. I love Thomas Jefferson. I think he's still more heroic than ever, the greatest statesman we ever had. And uh, most of the founding fathers, with the exception of Alexander Hamilton, who, of course, is the only one that our, our depraved culture loves. And they've made him into a hip young black rapper on Broadway because he was the banker's favorite founding father. He wanted a central bank and he invented debt. So, of course, they love him. But they hate Jefferson because Jefferson opposed the bank and was a classical liberal and invented these uh, concepts like consent of the government. That's yeah. why they hate. But they, they, but all the rest of the founding fathers, George Mason. I mean, Washington was you know not not perfect, but certainly uh, had a lot of great statesmanlike qualities. And most of the Adamses. I mean, all both sides back then. I think they had some great people in the. Up through, you know, I, I describe in the book. I think there were heroes. Ge- there were genuine heroes opposing the Civil War, up through, up through, and you know, into the 20th century. My all-time political heroes, Huey Long and Survival of the Richest, I devoted a whole chapter. And of course, they, most of my heroes and most of the real, real deal people tend to get assassinated, as Huey Long was. You know, so yeah. unfortunately, the powers that be go against them. But and of course, JFK and the Kennedys. I, I still hold a special place for them. I think John F. Kennedy was uh, the last great president and the last uh, real modern hero, and I think he was trying to do good, and obviously why they killed him. Uh, Kill, they, they also try to make MLK look bad, right? With the rapes and all that stuff? Because I, I remember when I, when I went to yeah. high school, when I went to school, they, he was great, all this, and then all of a sudden, now they're making him look bad, that he was... Oh, well, there's this uh, recording of him supposedly uh, listening yeah. and laughing during a rape, which is... Like, why would you record? Uh, then again, maybe I see people post crimes all the time on Facebook. So maybe people were recording the stupid, like, it would be kind of dumb. I mean, they did assassinate him, though. I mean. Yeah, and that, that was, uh, they were trying to, I mean, the, the, those recordings were almost all at the, at the behest of J. Edgar Hoover, who, not, who hated him enough to, I mean, he wrote a famous letter to King where he basically urged him to kill himself. Said, you know, you have no. This is the only option left to you, King, and that was basically this is the director of the FBI. But I, I think there is some of that where they try to tear down heroes. And but in King's case, he it's on a, it's kind of a microcosm of the founding fathers. You can't. The reason they don't pay much attention to the founding fathers, Hollywood's never made a movie, for instance, about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, any, except Hamilton. They did early on with him, of course, because they loved him because he was the banker's favorite founding father. But the rest of them, I mean, how do you make a movie, an honest movie about Thomas Jefferson, unless they're going to concentrate on the nonsense with Sally Hemings, which is what they would do. That's what they would do. They'd build it all around that. But if if you built it on his, his beliefs and all the timeless stuff he was saying, you know, about the the blood of the tree of liberty needs to be replenished with the blood of tyrants every 20 I mean, how do you do that? When you look at all the tyrants around us, they have to ignore that because everything they were fighting for is obvious. They were trying to overthrow a tyranny and overthrow a tyranny that is one millionth of the tyranny that we've been under for decades in America. So the tyranny today is nothing like King George's tyranny. That was a walk in the park. So they ignore that. And on, on, on a kind of a, a smaller level, with, with Martin Luther King, the civil rights movement, what he was preaching—nonviolence and get togetherness, and uh, you know, the uh, content of your character and all that. That conflicts with everything today. Nobody believes that. So they kind of, I, you know, because the, the authoritarian liberals that are out there, okay, he's a black leader, so they're not really going to badmouth him, but they don't really pay attention to anything he said because everything he says conflicts 
with uh, any kind of separatist movement or the, the ideas that we need, uh, you know, special favors or special rules. I mean, it should, I, I, I have a very simple, uh, you know, uh, ideal for all of that. And that is that, you know, laws, rules, standards of conduct, they should apply to everyone. That means all racial groups, all religions, all financial levels. And we know obviously the law and rules and standards of conduct have never applied to the very wealthy. But if we just applied every, everything consistently, I think these problems would be gone. But we can't do that. We've never done that in America. And that's part of the problem. And, and what Martin Luther King was, he was basically saying that. He was appealing for everybody to come together. And that's not a message that you're, you're hearing from anybody today. Who, who out there is preaching togetherness? I mean, everything is divisiveness. For sure. Uh, I agree with that. That's, I, I honestly believe that's a little bit of why this show gets taken down because we've been pushing that, you know, it's, it's not groups, it's power structures and people get very angry about that. Uh, my question is like, you know, we, we keep hearing about the great awakening coming up and all that stuff. And everybody's kind of had a, uh, you know, you know, some people are like it's happening. And then, so, you know, it's like I'll have uh, so many guests on and, you know, they all cover the same thing. But when it comes to what's going on in Hollywood in terms of the arrest and uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Hillary and all these stuff. And it's just like, uh, is the theater so advanced that they would destroy basically all the institutions that they've been building up for the longest time, destroy the media, destroy the Paris uh, climate agreement, des destroy relationships and free trade with China, destroy it all to the point where it's just about controlling energy and, you know, the Nexium arrest, the Jeffrey Epstein arrest, the, yeah. uh, the uh, El Chapo. And uh, those are three major uh, arrests involving child sex trafficking, which is almost the currency of the elite. And then we have uh, John of God that's also been arrested. Is this, I mean, is this beyond the theater that we even understand? Yeah. We could get into... Uh, we could get into like Obama, who he really was and what was going on with him. But like, this seems like something so beyond that, that I'm open. I'm open minded. I understand that Trump was in the WWE and all that stuff. But like, I mean, are we seeing a theater that, I mean, there's no way human beings could pull this off. Like, it's like, is this the first AI theater that we're going through a virtual well, reality or what's going on? I, I think that's why so many people think that there's, uh, whether it's a satanic thing, reptilian, you talked, I mean, that kind of, where people think there's some kind of supernatural aspect to all this, because then that's why people always try to find an ultimate boogeyman who's running things, the Illuminati, you know, whatever. But I think that it's beyond, I, I go back again to Orwell's 1984, which is my favorite book of all time. And there's just, you, I always get something out of it when I reread it. And I've, re I've read it so many times, but at one point, Winston Smith, the hero of that, he's he's just discovering himself. His mind is being he's, – he's waking up a little bit like none of the other citizens of Oceania are. And he says, you know, I, I understand uh, how and who. And, you know, I understand this, but I don't know why. And that's that's the great question is that people – even people like like me that have been studying this all my life or most of my life – 
I don't really know the ultimate why. I, I don't know why, because I, I, can't, I can't figure it out, because it seems to me, what is the ultimate end game here? The people that run this country and this world have all the power. They have almost all the wealth. I mean, you have to leave enough for the slaves to, you know, to be able to, for you to be able to exploit them. You know, you don't want them too sick because you don't want them to die. You have to have somebody there to, to, to do the work that you don't want to do and do all the, the and that's so. I don't really understand what the point of it is because they combine that with a this curious, um, especially in America. Maybe they don't have it around the world, but if you if you like turn on our state controlled media, it is state controlled. And you watch all the actress uh, model wannabes on there, the vacuous look on their face, and the, you know they're, they're just fluff, smiling and hey guys, and, they, and they're so happy and they're, they're everything's so fluffy and they're talking about the latest recipe and they're they're so excited about nothing and they're dumbing people down, but they're also putting on that mask that I don't know why they just don't take it off because there's no point. I don't I don't understand what they're covering up from because even if they did take the mask off. I think a substantial number of Americans would still not rebel and would still support them. I think they could, you know, come right out and tell them, yeah, you know, we're tyrants and we're doing this and, you know, we're stealing all the wealth and we're exploiting you and uh, we're making it so that you have to live paycheck to paycheck. If, you know, and some of you are going to be homeless on the street and we're going to have laws against being homeless. I don't know how that works. And uh, so you have nowhere to go. They, they could say all that. And yeah, we're sending your, you know, your your sons and daughters off to these foreign lands to for pointless, completely pointless reasons. There's no, you know, this guy's not a boogeyman. He's a CIA uh, creature or whatever. But even if they did that, a substantial number of Americans, I I, I don't think we've ever seen a, a first world population as naive and as willing to accept authority. As modern day America, I can't imagine Americans going out and, and uh, like France did and putting their yellow jackets on. I can't imagine anything getting Americans to do that. So that's, but the ultimate why is something I don't know. People ask me, have asked me that a lot. And I, you know, why do you think they're doing this? I, I, I'm not, I'm not in the club. Like George Carlin said, you know, it's a big club and we're not in it. Right. And, right. It's very I, interesting. It's like, but it's just like, it, they could just come out. Why, why do they have to do false flags? Why, why? Yeah. I, like, I, I just feel like maybe it's naive and maybe I just don't want to just be like, yep, we're all fucked. You know, um, maybe wait, I wait just up. think you don't that think, you don't think Americans would like protest like in Hong Kong. You don't think there's nothing that would second amendment, nothing. I mean, like, dude, there, there's literally riots going maybe all the over second the world. Amendment. Maybe, maybe. I mean, that'd like, be about the only thing. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy. It's just like, why are all these false flags happening? Why 9-11, Gulf of Tonkin? Why do they need our, like, us to agree to it? I, it's just like, it just, it's just such a weird thing. Well, you know, thing. maybe 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 it's something, you know, it's, it's something we don't understand. Maybe it's like the, uh, you know, part of the vampire legend was that, you know, you have to invite the vampire into your house before he comes in. I mean, you know, that kind of weird thing. I mean, maybe they have absurd rules. I, I don't know, but the, the false flags go way back. In my new book, I talk about the history of false flags in America, and they go back to 1898, the Spanish-American War, and remember the Maine and uh, the hell with Spain. And that was when they first invented it. And they, they even established historians admit that it wasn't the Spanish that blew up the Maine. And that's, what, that's how they got America into war. That's when tabloid journalism was invented under William Randolph Hearst. He admitted, you know, you, he told the photographer, you know, you, you go there and I'll give you your damn war. 
You know, that's that was, and that's, and then of course, and they perfected as it went along in World War One. To get us into that, they came up with the same kind of false flag, almost word for word, the same script, the sinking of the Lusitania, which again they've admitted now that it wasn't the Germans that did it, and the Germans, in fact, had taken out ads in the paper and said, "Hey, please, you know, don't, you know, we have we have war things going on here. Don't send any passenger ships through here." They took out ads and papers. And they still did it. Young Winston Churchill, real warmongers like that. Young Franklin Roosevelt, Assistant Secretary of the Navy. These are the real warmongers, the ones that have now been told by the court historians, as I call them, tell us that these were heroes. And, of course, World War II, the ultimate modern false flag of Pearl Harbor, where you know, they basically waved the Japanese in. And everybody knows that now. But if you say it in polite society, they just... Oh my God, you're crazy! Oh, okay, <laughs> a guy named John Tolan. This is what happens to people that are in the establishment. And they go out, they color outside the lines. John Tolan was a Pulitzer Prize-winning historian until he decided to write a book in the early '80s called Infamy, and it was the meticulously researched expose of Franklin Roosevelt's treachery, and because he wanted to get America, he and the and the, the rulers in America at the time were desperate to get us into the Second World War, and most Americans were still opposed to it. The so-called America First Committee that they smeared Trump for using that term, and they weren't Nazis. These were mostly classical liberals at the time. And I talk about John T. Uh, Flynn, who was the leader of the American First Committee in New York, who Franklin Roosevelt, and I, I published in there. He was he was sending letters as President of the United States, sending letters to people in the journalism community, urging them not to hire John T. Flynn. He really he destroyed his career. Now you imagine Richard Nixon doing something like that. They'd be all over that. That never happened though. It was child's play. But this is FDR, the great liberal hero. But That's so interesting, uh, once, dude. Yeah, well, and once they did that, so you had that, and then from then it was uh, obviously the Gulf. The, uh, all historians, everyone acknowledges the Gulf of Tonkin didn't happen; uh, that it was a completely made up, false flag. And, and most people don't know historical. That you realize the kind of connections you find in these instances. Most people don't know that the the guy in charge, the admiral in charge of the fleet at the Gulf of Tonkin, was Admiral Morrison, father of the Doors, Jim Morrison. Yep. And then we have the whole uh, uh, Laurel Canyon studio and the influence on all of Oh, I love Dave McGowan. Dave McGowan, I, I, I use his research a lot. One wonderful, great writer. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Now, let me ask you, in your opinion, uh, is the internet helped get any information out? Has it awoken anybody? Even if Trump isn't a part of this whole thing, like if nothing happens... By the time Trump gets to year, if he gets reelected and gets to year five, it looks like he's going to get reelected. Mm -hmm. If nothing happens by then, is there any uh, bit of like, okay, man, this is, I mean, because I realized two years into Obama that, and you probably knew Obama was uh, BS from the start, but you know, I was still trying to, you know, okay, we got change coming, right? And two years in, I realized that was a giant lie. That was a giant. Oh, he, well, he looked different. That's their version of change. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Change skin <laughs> colors. Flavor there we ice go. cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like a Still coconut, dark on the outside, <laughs> white on the inside. Uh, but as the internet opened, I feel like people are way more. They, it's a you know, my uh, we've had a guest on before who said the internet allowed us to get the knowledge of the elites when maybe they yeah. didn't want that out. Do you see it? I mean, as a man who started, obviously, 
uh, you know, many decades ago in this business and trying to get your work out. And I couldn't imagine what the resistance was just trying to get books out to say this. Well, what, well without the Internet, I, I, I don't know that I would have ever been published because uh, back back then, you know, I've been writing all my life, but before the internet came into being in the late 90s, uh, you know, it was, I, I got nothing but rejection slips. Because first of all, and this is again how I talked about in Survival of the Richest, the cost is prohibitive if you're just an average person. Because if it costs money, you need to send out, I mean, digitally, once the internet came in, you can bombard publishers and agents with emails. It doesn't cost you anything. But if you're doing it in the old days, you're sending, include a self-addressed stamp envelope if you want to get your manuscript back. And uh, that gets to be tedious because you get a lot of form letters. They don't, most of the time, they don't read your stuff. So it, it becomes uh, cost prohibitive. It becomes frustrating. And, uh, but the Internet made it so much easier. So as a writer, the Internet has been invaluable for me, and not to mention the, the technology because I can't imagine when I first started writing, you know, I was writing uh, you know, on typewriter or even longhand. I can't imagine, you know, somebody like Charles Dickens, my favorite writer in the, in the 1800s, writing, you know, with a quill pen. I mean, just writing those thousands, I mean, you know, thousand page novels like that. And, you know, how do you proofread? How do you go back and make changes? Now we can use uh, word processing and we can go back and rewrite something a million times. You have spell check. We can catch our errors, fill in, change things. That was a lot harder. So all the technology has been wonderful for writers. And I think for the purposes, because we have state-controlled media, and I think it, it, it took them a long time until when they took down Alex Jones last year and they started this kind of the, the shot, you know, heard around the world when they're shooting back finally. Because I kept saying, look, if they, had, if they could take the Internet down, they would have done it. And um, they decided to use this social media giant to do it. But... I think it's been a godsend as far as I mean, there were the 9/11 Truth Movement was built almost entirely online because there have been very few books, unlike the JFK assassination. Because back then you did have my hero Mark Lane, Harold Weisberg, people like that that wrote books, and uh, they were hard. Most of the time they had a hard time getting a major publisher to publish them. A lot of them got published in England and France that were more uh, receptive to that than the uh, American media was even then, but. You don't have that with things like uh, 9-11 or certainly something like Sandy Hook or any of these kind of mo more modern incidents. People don't get books published about that. That just doesn't happen. I can throw things about it in my books, luckily, because I, I have before them so I can write about them. But uh, we, we, I think we need – the Internet is so valuable. And I'm part of a, a campaign, and it's uh, – I don't know, really know what it is yet. It's called Stop Bit Burning. And it's being run by uh, uh, my friend Dustin Nimbus, one of my many cyber friends. And we're trying to get a lot of people. Sean from SGT Report, he has a real big podcast that's on. But these are mostly right-wing people. And I'm, I'm a populist. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a classical liberal. But I believe in free speech. So I'm joining that just all, only because I believe in free speech. And I think it's very dangerous what happened to Alex Jones and mostly conservative people. But when you start throwing people off social media, they destroyed that guy's empire. I mean, he had millions and millions of people and uh, watching him. And when you deplatform somebody, it's that censorship. And uh, I think it's wrong. And I think that with without all these great websites, conspiracy forums, and podcasts, I mean, look at look at podcasts like yours. I do a weekly radio show uh, on online. There's so many shows like that. None of them would be possible. Uh, very few of us would be able to get on AM radio. 
uh, let alone anything beyond that, television. So it's very important without the Internet. That's where anybody you talk to that is, that is talking about the kind of things we're talking about, any of these issues, maybe not quite as much the JFK assassination, but, but the JFK assassination has gravitated now to online forums and so forth. So it's become a digital thing too, but certainly 9-11 and any of the more modern conspiracies, so-called conspiracies, uh, that's all a product of the information that was available online. Because if you watched you know, any television network, there's never been, as far as I know, there's JFK, there's a few little that broke through, but almost none that told the truth on any television network about the JFK assassination. But as for 9-11, there is nothing. There's nothing. When you, when you turn on those commemorative specials every year, it's going to be the same ones. The survivors in the building and the heroic firefighters and the same you know, picture of the people walking around with dust and all the same kind of videos, remembrances, tragedies. Nothing about questioning the official story. Not one. And that's the kind of media we have. So if we lose the Internet or if we allow the Internet to become part of the FCC where they can control it, then you're going to have – you're not going to have – we're going to go away. We're not going to be online either. Do you think that and, is what uh, – what, it seems like what Google's trying to do. Google yeah. – uh, I mean, excuse me, YouTube is trying to use – narratives like oh you're you're selling um you're selling pharmaceuticals without a prescription well that's not true uh i'm selling everything that everybody else is selling and uh everybody's and they took me down uh, 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 i mean like where does this all go uh, like okay let me ask yep. you something I do think YouTube's trying to become a network, try to get controlled by the FCC so they can pull all these things in. Why is Google pulling down ads for uh, on content that I hear ran on FCC regulated radio? Yeah, well, just I mean, just you look at powerful forces like Google, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, the, the, again, they're run by the richest people in the world now. These are ultimate one percenters. They want control. There, nobody in our power, in, in power in this country or the world, wants average people to be able. They may say they do, but they don't. They don't want you to be able to express your real opinion because if you disagree with them, and, and let's face it, you're going to disagree with them. I mean, why, why are you going to? If you're going on Amazon or you know, or Washington Post now with Jeff Bezos. You know, you're going to, the so-called richest guy in the world, the way he exploits his warehouse workers and things like that, you're going to mention that if you have any integrity or principles. But obviously, this guy doesn't want to hear that, and neither do any of the other one percenters. So they, they want control, as, and the problem is they kind, they kind of allowed a monster to be created. Because once they open this internet up, and it's going to be hard for them to completely clamp down. Because yeah. there's a whole lot of people, even outside the conspiracy world, that are used to this. And, you know, if you, so I think they've been very selective. I think they, they went after Alex Jones because he was, for, for good or bad, and, you know, talk about WWE, certainly had a big aspect of that to him, too, as an entertainer. Mm -hmm. But he was the biggest name in the conspiracy world. And I think uh, they went after him for that reason, to show, okay, look, we can take down this guy. I know so we can take you. It too. seems interesting to me, though, because like every day I see a new conspiracy podcast and I love it. I love it. I love it. I try to get as many people on this show as I can that have uh, shows so that people can find their shows, because to me, it's going to be really hard to wipe everybody out.
and still maintain what they're doing. Like YouTube has changed. Like one way they try to combat it is changing the algorithm that gets you to find these videos. Well, they lost $80 billion doing that. Well, yeah. it, that, well then the question is, are they a business? Because I don't well, know any business that loses $80 billion. Like, let's keep doing what we're doing. No, it's a nerd. Well, there's a, I, I, think, I think you can say that. I mean, I, 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 when you talk about capitalism, everybody talks about uh, it's for money. It's not. It's not always. I mean, it, of course, they're making tons of money. But as I talked about in Survival of the Richest, uh, I think of the six major banks that were bailed out in 2008, uh, of the eight major banks, six of them had more, gave out, after they were bailed out, gave out more in bonuses than they earned in profits that year. Now, how is that any kind of viable business practice? And we, I see it over and over again, where you'll have companies that are failing. Look at the gold umbrellas and the golden parachutes they give somebody like a Carly Fiorina, who uh, ran Hewlett-Packard into the ground. They gave her $40 million to go away because she was so awful at what she did. And then she somehow felt entitled to run for president after failing miserably as a CEO. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, that's one person, but there's tons of examples out there like that. So what they do doesn't make sense commercially. I also talk in the, uh, in the book where there have been studies that show, like you see all these celebrity endorsements for products. They've now done polls and studies that show not only do celebrity endorsements not help sell a product, in most cases, they defeat the purpose and people are less likely to buy the product of a celebrity, but they still continue to do that. I mean, in my industry, do you, I mean, people like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama are given you know, millions of dollars in advances. They're, you have to sell millions of books yeah. to make that advance. They're <laughs> yeah. not going to come close to selling Never, that. dude. They were talking about that. That... that advancement that Barack Obama got, they will never recoup that money. Ever. Ever. So I want to go real quick. I want to go down a couple. I'm going to throw out some uh, quote-unquote conspiracies. Don, if you can give us your quick take on what you think they are. Again, his book is Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963. The history they didn't teach you in school. Um, 9-11. What's your thoughts? Well, I, th well, I think 9/11 is uh, it, it's the, what to the to the millennials, to my children, it's what uh, the JFK assassination was to baby boomers. Uh, it was uh, one of the most important events in human history, and I think that anyone, I mean, it took me about you know watching it that day, watching the TV coverage. It took me about you know 10 minutes to realize to realize this was an absurd uh, narrative. And you know, when you see the buildings come down like that and, and, and free fall in their, own, in their own footprint, I mean, it's not, not to mention what I call the calling cards. And when you had the magic passport that appeared, I mean, they're, they're, you're told that everything was obliterated, steel, everything ground into fine dust. And yet somehow one of the uh, alleged hijackers' passports floated down on top of one of those it's piles. It's unbelievable. Found it yeah, I mean, that's, and that's kind of like the magic bullet. Uh, you know, it took me uh, so long investigating the JFK assassination before I was smart enough to realize, you know, wait a minute. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're familiar with that, the magic bullet supposedly caused seven wounds in, in, in uh, JFK and Governor Connolly and came out looking like an almost uh, pristine condition. So it took me a long time to realize, wait a minute, if you're, these are sophisticated conspirators. 
why would they have planted a bullet that looked like it hadn't struck anything? It's calling cards. These are calling cards. The passport was another one. Oh, they, they want you to know. Yes, they want you to know. They're advertising oh. it. It's a game they play. And they, it's, it's so, because they know no matter how obvious, they, they, like I said, I think they could turn to the screen and say on air, yeah, this is a false flag, <laughs> this is a conspiracy, and wink. And most of the people still would believe it. So it's, nope, it's a game. You're right, Don. You're right, man. You're completely right. You hear Oli Demigard says that all the time. They they do things with like their pictures of victims with their shoes off. These are all signs of uh, times that they happen. You know, in the Vegas shooting, the floors that they say happen. And then you have video of like the, the window that supposedly the shots fired. You hear shots firing. There's no gunfire happening. What's your thoughts on Vegas? Yeah, well, I think uh, Vegas, again, I, I look at, I, I may write a, a book uh, one of these days called Hoaxes, where I go back to all these things, starting with Gabby Giffords, uh, you know, the, the representative that was supposedly shot uh, at a Safeway parking lot, and obviously through the Sandy Hook and Boston bombing and things like that. But Vegas, yeah, it was some of the many earmarks. I found some of the early pictures with the, the bodies laying uh, like in kind of in that open space out there, and they... They had back then. There was still uh, not quite the censorship you have now on YouTube, and, and you'd get these great videos where these people, and maybe in their parents' basements, I don't know. But they do they do the investigative reporting that so-called professional journalists won't do. They're actually asking questions, and they were analyzing the video and the way, and they they, they it didn't look right at all. The bodies did not look right at all, and yeah, the, the whole narrative with the guy. I mean, I I haven't looked into it that much, but. It's in all these cases, you come to one or two conclusions. Either it's a complete lie and nothing, it's just all actors, or uh, there was more to it and they're, they're playing it down. But, and who, you know, who knows? You ask why they would do it. Why would they, they certainly don't mind killing people, so why would they pretend to kill people? But this is, again, psychologically, in my book on bullying, I, I talk about how uh, one of the most troubling aspects that's been going on in our schools for a long time now are these. Uh, events these staged events and i'm not talking about you know theories you can look it up they they what they do is they go into these a lot of times with participation of police and military and they they have a fake shooter they have someone playing a shooter they almost never tell the students so they terrorize the students and a lot of times they don't tell the teachers so they televise terrorize and a lot of times they'll have a a typical politically correct script so it'll be a demented homeschooler that's mad or a gun rights activist that's going into the schools. These things happen, and guess what? They hire crisis actors who play victims, including fake blood and all the stuff that people accuse in these other incidents. It happens. So it's a very, uh, a very small logical leap of faith to say it would happen in those other instances. And qu the question remains: Why are they doing this? And this, what does that have to do with education? But it's it's going on. It's happening, and, and no one but me, apparently, is even writing about it. And uh, there's so many elements to everything. That's why you, you talked about writing. I never run out of things to write about because there's so much going on. And I feel like I, I'm trying to you know, share this with people who may not know it. But it's uh, – and again, the, question, the big question overriding is why. Why are they doing it? Why do they do it the way they do it? Why do they play these games? Uh, why, you know, why maybe faking things, why, why crisis actors, you know, why these kinds of things, why not just, I mean, they certainly don't have any, uh, 
any pretenses about killing people, but this goes back to Operation Northwoods under JFK, which JFK, one of the many things JFK did that no other president would have done. He vetoed it. He said, this is mad. And this is what this is our CIA and the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the early 1960s. They wanted to fake plane crashes and all these terrorist events and blame it on Cuba. Yep. The so, exact so same. We know that happened. Yep. <laughs> yep. Now, do you feel that, uh, and I got two more questions, we'll wrap it up. Do you feel that Project Northwood gets put out as a calling card that we find out about it so that they can mess with us? Well, I think I think all of that. I think yeah, it, the fact that it's there. First of all, the the people that are asleep, they're not going to care about Operation Northwoods. And if you tell them, they're just kind of uh, you know shrug and turn back on the Kardashians or something. They don't <laughs> care, and it's, it doesn't matter to them. And the people, I think, all of this is done for entertainment. They're 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 entertaining us, the people that are awake. And I I, I guess that's the way they get off. I, I don't understand it, but certainly. When you try to show people, but I've tried to say people, you know, back when the the, the Gulf War, the ridiculous, when they were trying to uh, demonize Saddam Hussein, who was a CIA operative all his life, and, you know, he groomed by our intelligence agencies, when they suddenly decided to make him the boogeyman, and they they wanted you to send your firstborn to war over this artificial oligarchy of Kuwait, yep. who nine percent of Americans would have not been able to identify on a map or had even heard of the week before, but they're ready to go to war to kill that madman. You know, when, when they had the, 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 uh, the ambassador's daughter tearfully crying before Congress about the babies and incubators, and then they, they proved that it was her daughter. It was completely fake, contrived, but it was the same kind of stuff. They used babies instead of uh, bayoneting them, as they might have said in World War One. The dirty, sneaky, rotten Krauts and the yeah. dirty, sneaky, rotten Japs in World yeah. War II. It's whoever they're trying to de- – and they use the same tired propaganda. And you, you still will hear it now with some people on the left who, again, had the Trump derangement syndrome. They'll talk about uh, – recently, oh, what about the rape of the Kurds? And we, oh, we have to go to war to protect the – you don't even – you can't even define what the Kurds are. Yeah. Let alone – but you're, yeah. you're ready to go to war with them. It's ridiculous. But it's the same propaganda. It's used over and over again. They don't even have to ch- – look what happened when Trump <laughs> decided to kill – what's the guy? Baghdadi, who they apparently oh. had killed like 12 times before. Oh, yeah. They keep killing the ISIS later. <laughs> yeah. and, and they used literally – they handed him the same script that Obama used for bin Laden, You're down right. to the fake photograph in the White House and the burial at sea. I mean, Why, it's, and people dude? still don't get it. <laughs> Don, final question, because I have to go to the bathroom incredibly bad. Uh, I mean, for the last five, I'm, the last 30 minutes, I'm like, this interview is so good, I can't cut it. Uh, who is running the world, Don? Who runs the world, if you had to guess? And another quick thing. Don, would you ever come back and do a whole episode on hoaxes with us? Sure, absolutely. I Anytime would love to have that. I would love to have that. We'll set something up in uh, December yeah, if we let could. Me know. Um, who who runs the world, well, Don? You know, it, 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 you know, we know that the average person has no say in what goes on. We know that somewhere, and I, in my new book, I have all the people in history that talk about powers behind the scenes. And these are people at the top, all the way down to Bill Clinton. They all talk about people behind the scenes. And, and he, uh, <laughs> so is, 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 it, is it the Illuminati? 
I mean, that's, I think that's probably something like that group that probably most makes sense. But I mean, you know, when you have something like this going on, you're going to have people suspects. You're, some people are going to say it's the Jews, it's the Freemasons, it's the Vatican, the Illuminati. They're just Satan himself, the Satanists. Someone, I think there's no question, because again, it goes back to what Forrestal told McCarthy. If it was just the happenstance and the law of averages, the dark side wouldn't win all the time. The good guys would actually win sometimes. The good guys never win. I mean, they just, at least not as, as far as the vast majority of us, are, you know, they may tell you the good guys win, but they're always winning. The people at the top are always winning. So everything that happens is done for them. So the people that, that are above them, the forces, and again, that's why you get things like the reptilians, these shapeshifters, even something like that. That's why the movie They Live is still so popular. It came out in 1988, I think it was. But that's because that people understand that there's, there's something. I think that's why there's a popularity still with aliens. You know, where people, uh, people understand that there's something beyond what we can comprehend that's running things. So is it the Illuminati? It's, it's some, there's some force, though. It, I think that it can safely be said that whoever's running things right now in America, it's not Donald Trump. <laughs> it's not Nancy Pelosi. It's not any politician. They're taking their orders from somebody. Now, who that is, I don't know. But whoever it is, is not working in the interest of the vast majority of the people. Final question. Final question. What does Don think was going on with Epstein? <laughs> what happened? Is he dead? Did he kill him? Obviously, we all know he didn't kill himself. Who killed him? Do you think he's dead? Part of me doesn't even think he... There's as much chance yeah. he's still alive as he is dead. What's Don? Don, what is your thought? Don Jeffrey's yeah, take I, on it. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that uh, Epstein seems like he was a pretty high-level procurer of children for all these powerful people that want to have sex with children. And I, I would say that uh, the odds are that he was escorted off stage, as I think some of these people are. And they're just kind of escorted backstage, and they're said to have died, but... As you said, other than William Barr, who recently, who, who we're told is going to lead the cleaning, the draining of the swamp, this is the guy that goes back to a cover-up of Ruby Ridge as a deep state insider of decades uh, tenure. Uh, other than William Barr, who's assured us now that, uh, that Epstein did kill himself, I don't think anybody believes that. So the official story is absurd. Now, whether he was murdered or – I tend to think like you that he probably was – at his level, he probably was allowed to be escorted off stage. You think he gets higher than his level? Oh yeah, there's yeah, somebody it, who does oh, him. Yeah. I mean, like the is that, is that where the Illuminati? That's but he's under. There, there's yeah. pretty, pretty much the Illuminati, and then him. Well, it could be Pindar, then yeah. the uh, the thirteen families, then the cl committee of thirteen, yeah. and then you have these groups like the Mega Group and all these groups. But I think at the highest level, it's say i mean like dark arts saturn people johnny well, epstein was just run by intelligence right i mean yeah i mean like we we're talking Mossad, Mossad yeah. and stuff like that what do you think uh don okay go on sorry don go no no i was saying even even groups like the rothschilds who when i was writing survival of the richest i had to put something in there at the end you know i said i obviously they are the richest or among the richest people in the world but i can't really write about them because they're shadowy figures and 
everything's kind of divided up. Nobody, it's the same kind of thing with the Rockefellers in America, where it's kind of hard to tell certain people, uh, you know, to, to say much about them because they do tend to remain, especially somebody like the Rothschilds, they remain behind the scenes. But I suspect that there are people above them. And I think that's why you develop theories like David Icke with uh, shape-shifting and uh, with, with people thinking they're actual Satanists and and things like that, because uh, it's hard to explain otherwise, because how do these people remain in the shadows? What do they have over the, uh, other than blackmailable? Certainly, we know our political leaders are very blackmailable because they, they all seem to be promoted because they're you know pedophiles or gay or whatever, and that's why they can pull that card on them if they get out of line, I guess. But I think their forces, and most of the people in American history, that most of our leaders, and I have a whole bunch of the quotes from it in the book, uh, talk about the the people behind the scenes that are ruling things, and I think there's whatever it is, it, it's 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 not them, and there's something above them. Uh, oh my God, that's so insane! What was I gonna final thoughts? Oh man, I think that's it, man. I just, it. Do you think there's lizard people at all? Oh no, no, no! <laughs> I got it. I got it. Here's my question. I've been hunting down somebody to talk about this. Don, you've been in the game for a long time. You've been doing a lot of research. Have you ever heard of the Pissar family and who the Pissars are and what kind of wealth or power they've had in the United States? Because the whole theory is that the Rockefellers are kind of their accountants, that they are, you know, that David Pissar, who was the son of uh, two French kings and queens who were beheaded, came over here and uh, the King of England gave him like, 50 million dollars and like all these anchors and they just built and created anything have you ever heard any of those about this family at all uh, well i i've heard the name and uh you know as much as i do about them though and again i i suspect that if they if they were as well hidden as they appear to be you know if they're running the rockefellers or whatever uh then that would probably be what you'd expect because again who uh, how we, we'd we depend on someone to expose these things. And other than the internet and people like us, people like me that are writing and trying it with the resources I have, I don't have any kind of resources like a major media outlet, but because our professional journalists on our big media outlets who have the power to be able to, to, to real, really do investigative journalism, they're not going to go there. They're not, they're barely able to expose a local used car salesman. That's about the level they're at. And that's what they feel like doing that. They really don't even feel like doing that, I don't think, most of the time. But something like that, the people that rule the world that are above the Rockefellers, I mean, you would, you would need some, some investigative journalism, and we just don't have any investigative journalism in this country. Well, he's Don Jeffries. But we got to ask him the, the, the one question. What? Flat Earth. You've been researching this back then. When, when did, what do you think? Why do you think they're <laughs> throwing this at us? Why do you think they're hiding it from us or YouTube won't let us find it? Well, I think, you know, that uh, Flat Earth is very interesting. And I, I go back because I, I think that when you realize you've been lied to about everything, and there I think we've been go. lied to about everything, why, why would uh, the people that are lying to us necessarily tell us the truth? about the, the real material existence, you know, where we're at, everything like that. But I, uh, you know, I have no idea, you know, what, what but I do know that, and I, it's one book I may write as well about modern science and the, what I think is a scientific religion. I find it difficult to accept 
that were on a whirring, a spinning ball, mm-hmm. uh, going thousands of miles an hour and, and rotating at, at the same time. And we don't know it. And I, 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 I think there's a lot of uh, arguments that people make that, that make sense there. And I think it's, uh, it's one of the bigger uh, things on the Internet now. I, and I, I think it's uh, too bad that the, um, a lot of those videos are, have been scrubbed, just like a lot of videos about hoaxes and so forth have been as well. It's you know I'm for, I'm for people open debate but again most of the, in polite society they're just going to instantly laugh at you if you're even suggesting that because uh, modern science has become at least as powerful I think than the church was in the Middle Ages couldn't agree more because, Tom you know, couldn't agree more yeah. science is yeah. a new and religion it, if you question it you're a heathen and a sinner and or you're stupid and no matter how many times they're wrong nobody keeps score and that's kind of the difference between you know, Don, I, I won't put myself in your league because you've been doing this for a while and you're well-written and well-read. Uh, but we keep score. And we don't we don't move on to the next thing. We just keep score in our mind. Oh, that's another bullshit story. Oh, that's another story that physics doesn't make sense. Oh, that's another one. That's another one. And, like, we just start seeing patterns here where everybody else is what we call goldfish on the show. And they only remember what's in front of their faces. And that's all the care. Uh, that's uh, that's all that matters. And at the end of the oh, day, yeah. go on, Don. Sorry. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, and you're right. I mean, you mentioned Eddie Bravo earlier, and I, I've I've heard him, you know, discussing flat Earth, and I, there's there's lots of people that are, it, it it's interesting. It really fascinates me, and uh, because I they make a lot of good points, and uh, but unfortunately, again, and I think where you would go with that is that if if you're you're if you did decide to invent some kind of scientific theory to try to diminish the significance of each person, certainly modern science has done that because basically everything in modern science is based on, you know, everything is random. Life has no meaning. There was this big ball and it just, I mean, you know, the, the, the most literal interpretation of the Garden of Eden makes more sense to me than the Big Bang Theory. It's ridiculous. Yeah. There was a big ball and it just blew up and created everything <laughs> with no external force. That's okay. crazy. And, but they, to them, that sounds intelligence, and they hide it with things like primordial ooze and these expressions that the public goes, oh, that sounds intelligent, that sounds educated, but they're not making any sense at all. And I think that uh, everything, all of this is to diminish uh, the individual's place and the value of each life and certainly any concept of God. Because they're, they're, they, because they, they, I think most people, if you accept modern science, then you would just say, well, you know, I'm nothing. I'm here briefly. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, an, an accidental conglomeration of genes. And uh, we just, you know, we crawled out of the ocean or out of the trees or whatever. And then we evolved into this for some reason, I don't know, on our own. And uh, it means nothing. Whatever I do here has no purpose. Uh, there's, I, I, there's, I, it doesn't matter if I'm good. Because really, if you look at it that way, why is, is there any point of being good or trying to be good? And I think that's why they do it, is they want to try to diminish any kind of, uh, <clears throat> any kind of uh, individual liberty, any kind of idea that there is a, a good being, um, a supernatural being. So that would be my guess. But, you know, it's, I, I realize that a lot of people don't agree with it, but it's nice to know there are a lot of people, especially young people out there, that are turning in that direction because they're questioning everything. And if you question everything, why wouldn't you question something like, where am I? What is this? You know, that's to me, that's the most natural thing in the world. I, I find that uh, the kids are actually, you know, the, I heard a study that said uh, they did a poll and they found that 
kids find a YouTube video as credible as network television, and that's got to scare the powers that be because their their power has been completely eroded. Uh, if you go put in Donald Jeffries into Amazon or into Google, you'll find a long list of books, the Unreals, the Unreals, the Survival of the Richest, Bullyocracy, which comes out January 15, 2020, The Hidden History, and of course, the book we talked about today, Crimes and Cover-Up in American Politics, 1776 to 1963. Uh, he's Don Jeffries. We have enjoyed you on the show, Don. Uh, we would have you on a thousand times if you'd come on. Again, we'd like sure. to figure out when we could uh, have you on to talk hoaxes because you're uh, wonderful at, uh, you know, you're just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, if, real quick, you tell our listeners and our viewers where they can find all your stuff. Well, I, I blog regularly. My blog is called Keeping It Unreal. It's donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. Uh, people can read that. I write uh, re semi-regularly, for pretty regularly for the American Free Press, which is available online. Uh, Lou Rockwell publishes a lot of my articles. So I'm easy to find. You Google me. You can find my interviews. I'm on Coast to Coast a couple times a year and things like that. Uh, I'm easy to find. I have lots of books, all the books you mentioned out there, and the, the new one is coming out in January is Bullyocracy. So yeah, if you Google me, you're gonna you're gonna find a lot of stuff out there. Well, Donald, you're wonderful. You were wonderful on the show. I completely appreciate you spending some time with us. We look forward to reading your new book and uh, come back soon, my friend. Anytime. Have Thanks a great have a great Thanksgiving with you and your family, and uh, you we too. will talk. We will talk to you soon. Take care, and we appreciate you. Guys, I want you to have a great Thanksgiving. I want you to have Thank a great you. Thanksgiving. Yep. And Thank we will uh, see everybody soon. Thank you for your support. And we uh, take care and have a great day. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit.